I hope you have brought your Bible tonight. Let's go ahead and open it up over to Hebrews, book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Heard a man yesterday on the radio coming home. Uh, I was listening to Janet Parshall, and this man was, um, he's on there on a regular basis. He was talking about his ordeal this last year. He was getting, I don't know if it was knee replacements, hip replacements, or both. I'm not sure, but he said it was from all the years of running that he did. I never have understood that, but anyway. We are talking about long-distance running, cross-country running. The Bible tells us we are strangers and sojourners here on this planet, and there is a job for us to do. Jesus said to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. We are to get the word out as many different ways as we possibly can. But that's going all over and being faithful day in, day out. You go on a trip, be sure you bring tracts, information, literature, go to be with relatives, make sure you have stuff. You go on vacation, make sure you have stuff. Everywhere we go, we should be planting seeds everywhere that we go. When I was younger, this is going to be hard for some of you to believe, but it is the truth. When I was younger, I was very fast very quick. I was good, though. uh, Well, give you an example. When I was in junior high, I could run from home plate, a dead stop, home plate to first base in four seconds. Okay. Now, I mean that you may say there's no way. That's what they thought. And I, they tested me two other times after the first time I did it. And it was legitimate. Four seconds from home plate to first base. I love to sprint, and that's basically what you're doing, going from home plate to first base. Um, But I was no good when it came to cross-country or endurance races. Matter of fact, I used to dread being in PE, and they would say, okay, today we're going to do the 220. It's like, no, not the 220, you know, or this or that. Anything where I've got to run a longer distance, I was good. It was kind of like I was like a, uh, a fuel dragster, you know. Give me the quarter mile. I'll burn it up. But if you're asking me to go around and round and round, forget it. It's, I'm going to run out of gas quickly. That's just the way it was. The Christian life is not a sprint. And a lot of Christians start that way as a sprint, and then they get discouraged. They fall away. Okay, their life gets wrecked. They backslide. This is what happens many times when people get saved and they're all excited because they know the Lord now. They have a new nature, the Holy Spirit. They're excited about spiritual things. The burden of sin has been lifted off of them. And they start out and they start out really good. And then before you know it, what happens oftentimes is they start cooling off spiritually. And then little by little, you don't hear about them anymore. What happened? Well, they weren't grounded. Not only that, but they didn't understand the Christian life the way God understands the Christian life. Many times when we think of a race, we think in terms of sprinting, but the race of the Christian life is an endurance race, more like cross-country running. It takes time. It takes discipline. It takes endurance, strength, careful planning. This time of the year, you know, you'll go out and in the fall and you'll be driving someplace, and then you'll see a bunch of either high school students or college students. They're on the track team, and they're the cross-country team, and you'll see them going and running long distances all around St. Cloud. Good for them. (laughs) That's not for me. But anyway, now, let me say this. Again, it takes time, because you have to build up your stamina, right? 
I can remember one summer, I thought, we, we lived, this is when we lived in St. Joe, one summer I thought, you know what? I'm going to try it out. I'm going to try it out. And honestly, within a short period of time, I could run two miles, and it, wasn't, it really wasn't that much of a problem until my back started hurting. And I thought, I've got to stop. This is not going to work. I mean, it was great. I was losing weight. There was all kinds of benefits from it. But my back started hurting, and that was the end of that. Now, we don't run the race to become a Christian or get to heaven. Many in the uh, Pentecostal faith, uh, there's a lot of them that say, oh, no, it's just Jesus. Jesus is the way we get there. But a lot of the songs, you'll hear a lot of gospel songs, okay? Now, they're catchy tunes, and there's great harmony and all that. But a lot of your gospel songs, they'll talk about keeping going, and I'm not going to turn back, and I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do that. Now, yeah, you could maybe some of those take that as, okay, you're just talking about running the race of the Christian life. But in reality, when you understand the background, the theological background, these people are talking about persevering to get to heaven. Now listen, you don't persevere to get to heaven. It is a one-time exercise of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that brings eternal life. The only ones who can be in the race are those already on their way to heaven. That's what qualifies you to get in the race. But there is a race of the Christian life. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Believe what? Believe in Jesus that he died on the cross and paid for your sins. Believe that he is God who paid your sin debt and rose from the grave. And when you trust in him, you have everlasting life. One of the people who follows us and they ask a decent amount of questions, but they're always very thoughtful questions, and he's a very polite individual. And uh, he was saying, I just want to check this out. I think I know what you believe, but I'm hearing and reading different things on this. And so it's kind of like a what say you kind of for sure. And what he's referring to is what the people need to believe. He said, do you believe that people need to believe that Jesus was divine or that he's God in the flesh to be saved? Do you believe that? And I say, yes, that's, I believe that. He's God in the flesh. This is the danger, by the way, of this other thing that's going on, and I think he was making reference to it, the crossless gospel, which basically is just, they'll say, their key thing at Grace Evangelical Society, their key phrase is, believe in Jesus for eternal life. That's the gospel then, believe in Jesus for eternal life. Well, what about Jesus? Which Jesus? There's lots of Jesuses, right? You have to have the right one. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, ye shall die in your sins. Before Abraham was, I am, he was qualifying who he was, the one true Savior, and he was saying that he is the great I am. He is God in the flesh. And so that is something that I always make a point of when I'm sharing the gospel. Now, I very seldom have anybody who argues that point. I don't know why more Christians don't include it. Because here's the point. If it isn't God in the flesh who paid for our sins, we don't have a payment for our sins. If he was just a man or less than God, then he had his own sins to pay for. He couldn't pay for mine. And so this is important. The deity of Christ is important when you present the gospel. I wouldn't spend a ton of time on it, but I always include it. When I do the hand gesture, this hand represents Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. I always include it, right? 
so should you. By the way, that is, of course, one of the major sticking points with the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's the deity of Christ that they reject. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't say you need to get rid of your sin before I'll save you. No, he said, you come the way you are as a sinner and I will die for your sin. I'll pay for your sin so that you can have eternal life simply by trusting in me is the one who did that for you. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Why do I mention those three scriptures here tonight? Because none of those things talk about you enduring, you running a race, you persevering, you disciplining your body in hopes to get to heaven. No, salvation is a gift bought and paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. And once you've trusted Christ as Savior, yes, now you are in the race. And what kind of runners are we going to be? The race of the Christian life is the most important race that we will ever be in. And every Christian is in it. Now, how can we run the race of the Christian life successfully? Well, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews 12. This is very basic tonight, but very important truths. I wanted to boil it down to real simplicity on this. Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. First thing I want to mention to you is this. If you're looking at running the race of the Christian life, first thing is this. Take heart. Don't say, well, I've got so much baggage. I've made such a mess of my life. There's no way I can live a fruitful, successful Christian life. That's just not true. Listen, chapter 11 is, that's what the reference cloud of witnesses is referring to here in chapter 12, verse 1. It's the saints of chapter 11. If you read down through the names, every one of them was flawed. Every one of them made mistakes. They had problems. But isn't it interesting, once they have run the race and they're with the Lord in heaven, none of their problems or shortcomings are mentioned. All you see is them in Christ. That's all you see in chapter 11. But some of them were a mess. And yet they did it. They ran the race successfully. See, take heart. Many have run the race before you, before me. Okay, don't think, well, it's impossible to do it. I'm a mess. I fail. I fail all the time. I, I got saved and I just don't seem like I can, you know, get my footing right in all of this. You can do it. That's what God's telling us. You can do it. We are surrounded by those who ran successfully before us. And again, it's referring to the Old Testament saints of chapter 11. This compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Remember, There are no chapter divisions in the text. The end of chapter 11 goes right into chapter 12. Now you notice it says, wherefore seeing we are also compassed about. This phrase, compassed about, it means to be positioned around some object or area. To be around or to surround. The scriptures say this. Now I know there's some theologians that don't like what I'm about to say. And that's okay. There are some who would agree with me. And that's okay too. But I really do believe, okay, and I'll show you in a moment. I can't give you no uh, absolute on this, okay? 
But I really personally believe that they know what's going on. They may either observe it, or if they can't observe it, they have some idea. They're being told what's going on. Now, I want to show that to you in the Bible. But these people, and again, there's no, to my knowledge, there's no banister in heaven. Okay, it's not like they're there and, and they're going, yeah, yeah, go for it, go for it. Okay, I don't think that's the case. But it is, we are surrounded, it says. Surrounded. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I know it's figurative language, but nevertheless, the idea is like we are running the race in a stadium and they're in the stands rooting us on. They're cheering for us. They want us to succeed. God wants us to succeed. God doesn't want us to fail. Oh, sometimes a Christian life is hard. I get that, but it's worth it. While this verse does not say directly that the people in heaven are watching us, I personally believe that they do know something of what is going on. Now, why do I say that? Hold your place here and look with me to Luke chapter 15. It says in verse 7, it says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Isn't that interesting? Joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. Of course, in the context, has a change of mind. They understand their need. They put their faith in Christ. That's a change of mind. They've repented. Now, where does the rejoicing take place? In heaven. Where did the person become a believer? On earth. There's some connection going on here. See, they either saw it or heard about it. Look at verse 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say there is joy in the angels. There's joy in the presence of the angels. Why? Because there's angels in heaven. Who's having the joy? I think the, obviously I think the angels are happy, but I also think the believers are happy. I think there's something going on. There's some sort of communication. Either God gives them views of what's happening or somebody, maybe an angel, lets them know what's happening. Either way, they're rooting us on to victory. Look with me to Revelation chapter 6. The church has been taken up. We are uh, chapter 6 of Revelation. The judgments are starting to, the seals are being opened up. The judgments are starting to be poured out on the earth. And what we have in Revelation 6, we have martyrs, martyrs of the tribulation period who are talking to the Lord. And look what it says. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, does thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So they know something's going on on the earth. They know there's judgment being poured out on the earth. They know there's conflict. They know there's martyrdom going on on the earth. And they're saying, how long, Lord, before you avenge our blood on that world? Something to think about, isn't it? I think they know what's going on. To what extent, I don't know. And listen, they don't leave and they don't show up in your bedroom. Okay, if you're doing that, too much pepperoni pizza late at night. Send it to our house. (laughs) Just kidding. So number one, take heart. Others have run the race and they've done it successfully. And God's no respecter of persons. 
we have these ideas of what these people look like. Well, of course, number one, none of them had golden rings around their head like golden frisbees. That's not the way it was. If you would have lived back in their day and you would have met them, they would have been just like everybody else. Guess what? They would have been just like us. Just like us. Isn't that kind of exciting? I can look around and if you've trusted Christ, I can look around and we've got, we've got all these saints here. St. Sue, okay, St. Brian, St. Liz, Bonnie, St. Steve, okay, St. Jerry. You might say, whoa, St. Mark, okay. In the back, St. Blaine and his wife, Bobby, St. Bobby. I'd say, you left me out. Oh, I can't go around the whole room. <laughs> here's the point. Here's, here's the point. We are believers And the saints who have gone on, they were no different than we were. They were regular folk. But what they did was they took their spirituality and they took the Christian life seriously and they thought, I am not going to get sidetracked and I'm not going to get disqualified. Now, disqualified does not mean you lose your salvation. It means that you don't run the race successfully, but you're still saved. You're still saved. So number one, take heart. Number two, travel light. Travel light. Look at it. In uh, your, um, We're back in Hebrews chapter 12. Boy, this is one I've always noticed with distance runners. Well, sprinters for that matter too, but long distance runners. You notice it says, chapter 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every weight, and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us. This word weight means a tumor or a mass, a magnitude, a burden, an impediment, something that'll hold us back from running successfully. What are weights, okay? Weights are time and thought robbers is what they are. Weights are time and thought robbers. They may not be bad in themselves. They may not be listed as sin in Scripture, but they're the things that are holding us back from really running a fruitful and successful race, being effective. They've got these things, and I'm I'm sure some of you have used them, or you may even have some at home, ankle weights, right? And you put the ankle weights on, on your ankles, and then you do your exercising and all that, and it takes more effort. Why? Because you're weighed down by the ankle weights. But if you were going to run a race, you wouldn't keep the ankle weights on. You'd take them off. Why? Because the lighter you are, the easier it will be to move forward. If I'm not burdened down with weights and sin in my life, I can run a much swifter, much more effective race. Listen, listen. I won't get as tired or fatigued spiritually if I'm not burdened down with weights and sins. That's why you see these people, okay, running these races. I mean, let's face it, they're in pretty skimpy clothing. Well, that's, there's a reason for that. They want to wear something that is as light as possible. I can remember as, as a kid, boy, I, you know, I, I couldn't wait. When I, I just about jumped out of my skins when it was time to get a new pair of sneakers, okay? We got to go to the store and get a new pair of sneakers. Now, back then, they were the black and white Converse. You remember those? And they were cheap. You didn't pay a lot of money. I think Keds came later. I could be wrong on that, but I never had Keds. I only had those. We had no Keds until we got married. (laughs) Anyway, some of you got it. Here's the point, though. I loved 
getting a new pair of sneakers. And the neat thing to me, I can remember getting them and walking out of a place like Tom McCann. Do you remember Tom McCann? Yeah. And how quiet they were. And it was like, man, I can fly in these things. That's the way kids are. They think they can run faster because they got new sneakers. They actually think it's actually going to do that. But I remember there was weight to those, okay? The, the soles on those things, they, they had weight to them. Of course, now you pick up a running shoe now, and it's almost, it almost defies gravity. Why do they make them so light? They make them so light so they don't impede your running. God wants us to travel light through this journey and the Christian life as we go through it. There are things in our lives that take us away from accomplishing God's work in our lives. It could be fears. could be people. People can be weights. It can be material possessions. It could be hobbies. It could be jobs. People who are married to their jobs, they, they don't understand how, how serious that is. But that's a problem. You might say, well, I've got to support. I get that. We all do. We all have to support our families. But folks, listen. How is God going to see that when we stand before him at the judgment seat? Well, Lord, I, 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 I worked every, you know, every Sunday, every time there was a church service. I mean, I had to work. It's like, wait a minute, there's work all over the place. Why can't you get a job to where you, you can serve me the way I called you to through the local church ministry? See, it can become a, a weight. Now, a job is not sinful, but it can become a problem down the road. What is considered sin? Well, anything God says is sin. Anything that causes us to miss the mark that God has for us, because that's what the word sin means, to miss the mark. Anything that keeps us from living a fruitful life for Christ, that becomes a sin. I believe a weight can become a sin, but a weight in itself, especially if we deal with it and recognize it, we can say, you know what, I'm setting this aside because I've only got so much time in the day And this is keeping me from being effective in running the race. I need to travel light. I need to travel light. Remember, we're strangers and sojourners in this world. God doesn't want us getting bogged down with things. It is fascinating to me that verse 1 is required before verse 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus. We are to get rid of the excess and get our eyes on Christ. What is that? That's replacement. That's replacement. And it's very, very important. Lay aside every weight. In other words, living the Christian life isn't just a positive message of looking unto Jesus, like some people claim but also separating from those factors that will slow us down or bring us down. So I need to put beside me the things that are weighing me down, that are slowing me up, and then I need to get my eyes on Christ. So I take these things, I put them behind me, and I get my eyes on Christ. Those things now are no longer what my eyes are on. I put them behind me. I'm traveling light. I'm keeping my eyes on Christ. And it's every day has to be lived that way. You know, Every year at camp, we have a uh, dedication service. And I I love doing that. And and I love it when people dedicate their life to Christ. But that dedication of the life, that's just the beginning 
of a life dedicated to Christ. You haven't run the race successfully. You've said, I want to run the race successfully. I'm going to do whatever I need to to run the race successfully. Okay, then let's go from there. But that decision didn't bring all the success. No, it laid a foundation for the success. Yes, those of us who are saved by grace can never be lost. We know that. Whether you run the race successfully or not, whether you uh, just sit down along the way, whether you walk and you don't run, no matter what you do once you're saved, you can't be lost. But God doesn't want us to look at the fact that we're secure in Christ and say, well, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to end up in heaven anyway. That's not the way God sees it. We get in the race. We qualify for the race. He puts us in the race the moment we get saved. The fact is, if we are occupied with other things, temptations, lusts, substitutes, we will never keep our eyes on Christ. Why? Because our eyes are on something else, and that something else becomes an idol. And if it's an idol, we are guilty of idolatry, and idolatry is a sin. When I care more about something whatever it is, or someone, whatever it is, more about that or them or whatever, maybe it's image, maybe it's peer pressure. That has now become an idol that's replaced Jesus Christ as the focus of my life. And it only leads to trouble. You know, I've reached a point in my life, it never used to be this way, scares my wife to death when this happens, but be driving. I used to be able to drive and, and look and stuff, okay? Now if I'm driving and I look like this, the car goes that way. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you do the same thing? A couple, okay. All I see is men. What in the world's going on here? Anyway, it didn't used to be that way. But you know what? It's not a problem if I just keep my eyes straight ahead. Don't get sidetracked. Don't look. The sides of the roads. Don't you hate that? It's like, who invented this stuff? Let me just punch him once in Christian love. I know why it's there. No, we are to put them behind us and look to Christ. Many Christians want both in view, which leads to a life of distraction, frustration, and spiritual stagnation. Can't run the race successfully. Number three, persevering, don't quit. Persevering, don't quit. Can I say, folks, the Christian life is the best life, but it's not necessarily an easy life. Matter of fact, it's not, and you know that if you've been saved any length of time. A runner will almost always experience fatigue and a challenge from his body somewhere along the race, right? Those of you who run distance, long distance, you run, you run, you run, and at a, at a certain point, you can start feeling it in your legs and this and that, and different parts of you are, are hurting and all that. Don't quit. Don't quit. Persevere. Don't quit. And you can usually run through that onto victory. But it's a choice. A runner will almost always experience that. Hold your place and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul talked about it. Now, I think he wrote Hebrews too, by the way. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you know, I bet most Christians who are here, if you've been saved any amount of time, you've probably had some time in your life where you said, you know what, I am sick and tired of this. I'm sick and tired of this. You might say, well, I, I quit. You have a ministry, and, and you can't get people under you to cooperate. But it's like, I quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. You're hurting, but that's part of the race. Don't quit. Remember, 
God will judge you individually, and he'll also judge everyone else individually. Let him take care of them, okay? We need to stay on track. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? Boy, right away I see somebody, you know, when these marathons start, and there's hundreds of people there. And they go like that, and they all start running, and there's the sea of, the sea of people, right? What usually is at the end of the race? One guy who broke away, who is just doing everything he can to make it. Listen, he has endured. He's gone through pain. And they probably go through pain every time they race. But they've learned how to deal with it because they want victory. They want to succeed. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all but one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery, okay, to be the winner, is temperate, self-controlled in all things. Now they do it, the world, to obtain a corruptible crown. It's a thing that would rot, okay? It's, it was vines put together in leaves, and they would discipline their bodies, and they would run, they were Olympian-type people, and then they would stand before the, the ruler and they would give them this. But that thing's going to rot. Our rewards don't rot. They do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beats the air, but I keep under my body. He says, I got control. I got self-control of my body and bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. The word castaway means disqualified. Disqualified in what sense? In the context, it's talking about a race. If you don't want to be disqualified, you've got to play by the rules, right? You don't say, well, I'm behind. I've got five guys in front of me. I'm going to cut across the field. No one will know. That's cheating. And in the end, cheaters never prosper. They may prosper for a while in this life, but not in the end. So what do we see? We see so far, we see take heart. Many have run before us. Number two, travel light. Number three, persevere and don't quit. And number four, keep your eyes on the finish line. Keep your eyes on the finish line. Every step forward, every mile we run, every decision we make, every act of faithfulness, every act of, by the grace of God, self-denial, denying the flesh, gets us closer to the finish line. It is not a yellow ribbon. This is cool. The finish line is a person. It's Jesus Christ. He's the finish line. Folks, he wants us to run right into his arms. Look at it. Is he not the finish line? Yes. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the author. That means the originator, the founder, the one who causes something to begin. He is the finisher, the completer. In other words, our salvation is in Christ alone from beginning to end and on into eternity. Once we have him, we have him forever. We should all want to run to where we hear one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So we cross the finish line. Lord, I made it. Or those heart-wrenching sometimes finishes of these races. And you'll see these guys just, just 
doing all they can. They're hurting, they're crying, and they're doing all they can just to make it over the line. I can't help but think of the believers who are being persecuted overseas, who are living that kind of life. Some of them have had their families taken away and tortured in front of their face, tortured to death because of their faith, and they won't quit. Verse 3, for consider him, there it is, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds, ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now you notice back in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured. What is up ahead is worth more than what I have to go through to get there. I know we all go into heaven if we're saved. I get that. But as far as the reward, as far as the blessing, as far as the well done, for Jesus, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus went through what he did because he knew how it would end. It would end with bringing many sons to glory. It would end. All the children of God would be one big family one day. And so he said, this is worth it. So he who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus endured the affliction, and not only the physical torture, but the spiritual, what he had to go through. It was awful what Jesus went through. He became sin for us, the one who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Why did he do it? He loves us, as Yankee Arnold says. He loves us so much he would rather die than live without us. That's what he did, driven by love. What a wonderful truth. And which leads us to our last point, number five. Remember that Jesus is the ultimate example. No one gave more or suffered more than he did. While they had endured... A little persecution, it was nothing compared to what Christ had done for them and for us, talking about the saints of old. And it's the same for us. We get a little persecution. Guys, is it anything like what Jesus went through? No, it's not. It's not. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.